Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host Lori McRobbie. Today we're talking with guests about the city's proposal to close part of Lower Cascades to traffic. We have two guests with us in the studio. Scott Robinson is here. He's the City of Bloomington's Planning and Transportation Director. And Carol Canfield is Bloomington community member who organized an event of the rally against the city's proposed plan that was held on July 22nd. If you have questions or comments, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll free at 877-285-9348. You can send us questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can join us on, or you can also send us on, join us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Send us your questions there. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today. This is uh, one of those Bloomington hot-button topics that we have from time to time. Um, Scott, can you just uh, describe to us what, it, what the plan is and what the proposal is? Well, first of all, thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure being here to uh, speak with our listeners and uh, folks in this room. Um, I will kind of start out in saying, like, big picture, uh, you know, the city has a long history of uh, providing access and mobility options to schools and parks and regional desti- destinations for, you know, walking, biking, and strolling. Um, and in this area, uh, Lower Cascades Park, Upper Cascades Park, um, Griffey Lake, there's been uh, prioritization investments uh, towards that uh, big picture goal. And as we start implementing those facilities, we're getting to a point in that uh, network that's very challenging. That's the section of Lower Cascades Road, Old State Road 37, uh, that's approximately from uh, Gourley Pike going north up to, uh, I guess, one of the southern parking lots um, on Lower Cascades Playground. Um, so it's environmentally constrained. The road's very narrow. There's very little shoulder along that uh, portion of the roadway. Um, the stream bank is being eroded. As, as we all know, in 2020, there was a storm event that actually washed out a portion of the roadway. Um, and so when we look at our plans to implement uh, infrastructure to go in there, it's very challenging from a technical standpoint. Like, well, what are we supposed to do? Um, so there's somewhat of four alternatives to consider. There's kind of the, the do-nothing, which would I would say and include the, at the very least provide a sidewalk connection from Miller Showers north up to um, where the infa- current infrastructure is. Um, another alternative that's been kind of figured out or analyzed or talked about is a one-way road option uh, where half of the roadway would be for motorized vehicles and half the roadway would be for non-motorized vehicles. Um, another option, um, which we see around town is what we call a multi-use path, which is typically along the side of the road. They're 10 feet wide. Um, so implementing that again would have some challenges given, given the narrowness of the corridor. And then the other option would be kind of an off-road trail-like facility, which there are some of that in, in the existing, uh, lower Cascades area. Uh, so the administration is, is looking at the... I guess the cost aspect and environmental aspect on those alternatives and uh, one of the alternatives uh, that really would provide a lot of cost savings and minimize some of the environmental uh, impacts to those other options would be to close a portion of that roadway to motorized traffic and convert it to kind of like a trail-like experience. So uh, understanding there's trade-offs with all those uh, alternatives and so we're just having a conversation to arrive at uh, what's a good pathway forward to kind of evaluate those alternatives. Uh, again, that's kind of where the city's at right now is 
uh, that would be one of the considerations is to close the roadway, um, given those constraints and, and trade-offs that we've discussed. Scott, before I, I let Carol talk about some of the concerns she might have, I, so I drove through there yesterday. I just wanted to get a good picture of what was going on. Uh, I haven't been down there since all the speed bumps have been put in, and so it was an, it, it just mm-hmm. interesting for me to go down and see what, what it looks like. But um, I couldn't figure out exactly where the closure would be. So how would – so if I, I go to Pike or I, I leave Miller Showers Park and I go down where I usually go, where, at what point would the road actually close? Well, that's a great question because we don't know. <laughs> okay. And that's the point of the conversation is, is I think everybody might have an opinion on if that was the preferred alternative, um, where would it, it close? And I think the next step, again, deciding what that uh, next step would be is a more detailed engineering study that would help identify those constraints – um, you know, the Parks Department did uh, get some information from a contractor or a consultant that has worked in implementing other uh, facilities in the park up there with the side pass. Mm-hmm. Um, did a very thorough job, and I think looking at that report, uh, one of the possible ideas would be just north of the IMI uh, driveway. Um, that's where the roadway would close. That would still uh, maintain the access for that business to continue there. Um, There is roadway width and shoulder width to provide a facility south to connect to uh, Miller Showers. And then going north, uh, there's about a half half section of road kind of measured in the middle of the road. It's very windy. Mm -hmm. Um, For those listeners that are familiar, there used to be an old motorcycle repair shop on the east side of the road. Now it's an environmentally uh, sensitive site that's got a concrete cap on it. it. some people call it a parking area, but from that point north, um, there's a little bit more width than the the area to work with. So that that to me is the most environmentally constrained section. So that could be like uh, the minimal area that could be considered. Um, that's my opinion, but again, until we get further details on what that would mean, um, where it would close and not close uh, would be that section of roadway. All right, Carol. What were what are your concerns, and why did you decide to have the rally? Well, first of all, um, instead of calling it a rally, uh-huh. I prefer to call it a town hall meeting because okay. we wanted to get viewpoints from everybody. Um, the purpose of it was to make people aware um, that this road may be closed again, and um, we did a lot of things: um, passed out flyers, had ads in papers, mouth to mouth. I was amazed how many people did not know anything about this being a possibility again, and they would say, I thought this was resolved. And um, so we did our own traffic count, for instance, and um, we would sit in the parking lot where the handicap spaces are, where they had closed it previously, not knowing what the definite plan was going to be. And um, it was a very interesting count, and I'll I'll get into that in a minute. But um, I prefer to call it a town hall meeting because we wanted all views to be represented. Um, It turned out that most of the people who attended, and it was a great attendance. We had between 85 and 100 people in a shelter that holds 75. So I I was very pleased about it. And that was despite the fact that I couldn't get the Sycamore shelter, which is closer to parking. Um, We did have shuttles, wheelchair shuttles there, so we could transport people from the parking lot to the shelter. And um, we used it quite a bit. I just lost my train of thought. The, the so, reason we wanted, we invited the city council members to come, both those who are presently seated and both those who are, are going to be gone, are going to be on the ballot um, in November and presumably um, going to be on the council next year. We invited them. We invited the mayor's office, um, specifically the mayor. He sent a representative. Um, we invited all kinds of press, and I was very happy to see lots of press there because that gives us more exposure to this issue. Because when I talk to people, I would say probably 99% of them are not even aware that this is an issue. So the main thing is get it out before the public. The reason we did it in July was because this issue was coming up in the spring as a possibility that it could be presented to the council at any time. Uh, for the first reading and then possibly for the vote the second week. 
we needed to let the people know this so that they can attend and make their voices known, and this was one way that we could um, let them be heard. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay, we can get into yeah, some of the yeah. other reasons yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. I want. I wonder if we can step back just a little bit and talk about the process here. This. So this is. Um, I think Scott, as you said, this has been in. Um, uh, sort of in the works for a very long time. In fact, I think part of a, pl- a very long-standing plan to connect the parks and obviously make Bloomington pedestrian and bicycle friendly and all these things that we love about Bloomington. Um, so, so this has been out there. Why now? And it, maybe this is two questions then. Uh, what is it that's prompting it to happen now? And you may have answered that by saying we simply gotten to the point where it's this part of the uh, the plan. But then what is the process? Um, the mayor proposes based on some sort of study, presumably, of cost and environmental impact, short of a full engineering study, and then that goes through council. Can you help us understand kind of what, what, what the steps are? Yeah, that's a great question. And I might have to, you had multiple in there, so I might have to go back and circle around. So. Uh, why now? I, I will say we get that all the time with every infrastructure project we get. Literally everyone is, why now? Why here? Why is this a priority? Um, I've been here since 2002, so we've updated our plans and policies, which are public outreach, goes through Plan Commission City Council. Um, not everybody's aware of that. And so that's the guidance, the policy guidance that staff takes to implement these things. Um, and sometimes these projects are prioritized, saying, hey, this priority is these type of facilities this project X, Y, and Z. Um, uh, this administration has put forward uh, a lot of bond initiatives, so there's another opportunity for a prioritization. So a, a different project, uh, two projects have been prioritized in this area for lower cascades on bonding. So again, that prioritizes some of that infrastructure. Um, and then lastly, uh, I think uh, if I remember the, the process, um, so you know, we have the planning process that kind of identifies where we want our facilities and somewhat of a prioritization and saying, hey, this might be uh, prioritized. Another process is funding, so that sometimes is done with the bonding initiatives that uh, administration proposes, council approves. Um, and then there's somewhat of a, another process with annual budgets. So again, staff, administration will propose budgets that will identify these needs and, and projects that council approves. So that's a a process related question. Again, kind of getting to the technical piece of this one. um, It's not prioritized in our plans and the saying, hey, it should be done in year X, Y, or Z or after this project. But because there are investments being made there now um, that will help complete that network, this is kind of the missing critical link. Like it's linking to the south of the city where the majority of the population is um, and how do they access a really great asset. I think everybody agrees. I mean, it's a wonderful park um, in many, many different ways uh, to enjoy. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the struggle of how do we uh, address uh, the technical piece of process. Um, you know, the, the council vote, the administration was very clear as he wanted a community buy-in on uh, which prioritization or which uh, alternative to consider so the city could prepare uh, an ordinance, a resolution, what have you. So there, again, there's more of a community-wide uh, conversation, uh, discussion to help prioritize that effort. Uh, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, uh, again, aside with the, the technical challenges between which alternative works best or not. So, so I'm, uh, I, I may be the only one who's still a little bit confused. So, for so everybody, forgive me. But I'm where where are we right now? So, so the. Council has already considered, has not considered anything. No, there's there's been no prioritization or consideration on what to do with as far as in this particular concerned. instance. I will say this okay. was somewhat of a unique uh, instance in regards to how we implement facilities because there's so many challenges and constraints on this portion of roadway. Um, and, you know, and I respect there's been confusion about the pilot study and the road opening and closing. It's it's confusing. There's a lot of uh, boards and commissions that get involved with Mm -hmm. with those sort of things. So um, I certainly respect the confusion involved. Um, Another kind of weird technical thing uh, with the way the current city code is, there's not a lot that really would be a resolution or ordinance to say, hey, close the road or keep the road open because our code doesn't really have that in there. So we get into some weird 
nuances of what what would be voted on per se. So that's kind of another trick to this um, conundrum, I guess, if you want to put it that way. And it's good to have these conversations to help understand, you know, what are the trade-offs and what are we trying to achieve, um, at least in this particular instance. And are there opportunities for public hearings during this at various points during this process so that it, and they're, it, they're, they get posted at a normal, I realize, Carol, you, you did your own, if you will, um, uh, as, you know, acting as a, a citizen. Um, but would, they, would there otherwise have been opportunities for the public to comment at any point up till now? Well, that's, a, again, great question. There's really no, quote, unquote, proposal. It's just uh, uh, alternatives were proposed for feedback. Um, depending on what that alternative may be, it could uh, take form of an ordinance um, that, again, would go through city council. There would be opportunity for public hearings. If there was an appropriation request, again, there would be opportunity for public comment at city council on spending that money. Assuming that money was spent, regardless of whatever the alternative it is, once that money is appropriated, then when staff goes to implement those projects, every project in the city, there's opportunity for reviewing the plans. There's usually a kickoff meeting saying, hey, what we're going to do, this is what we're looking to do. And then they re- review some plans and give some feedback. And, and so there's, again, a process for the public to be involved at that point and stage in the process. Scott, my, my memory isn't as good as what it used to be. I'll, I'll start by saying that. <laughs> My recollection of this is that there was discussion of this about a year ago or more, and the mayor wanted to do it, and the people in the neighborhood were against it, and I thought the planning staff was against closing the road through there, or maybe it was the parks board. Uh, what am I remembering? Well, my <laughs> memory is not as good either. Uh, being at the city for you yeah. know 21 years, there's lots of... Uh, things that my institutional knowledge remembers and forgets. But I, I, the department has not weighed in. It has not gone through our boards and commissions in that consideration. It's been discussed regarding the pilot study. And again, I think that's where some of the okay. confusion was. There was some public outreach involved with that. Um, and so that was really more about, you know, continuing the pilot or should, should it go back to being open? And I recognize that creates confusion. I'm like, oh, the decision's been made to do what, whatever. Right. So that might have been uh, some confusion on on that aspect of the topic, I guess. Okay, so with the pilot study, it it was closed to study it and see if it would work the way it was. Is that how that works? Yeah, the the idea of the pilot was again to to get a better understanding of how the roadways used and you know what would be some of the opportunity for people to experience uh, that roadway and it, you know coincidentally it was during the pandemic which. It was probably a good time to do the, the pilot study, um, you know, because of lockdown and what have you. And that, that's something that we saw across the country. A lot of places were doing these sort of things then to give opportunity for, for that uh, pilot-type environment. Um, mm-hmm. Carol, what are your concerns about that area? Down? Where do we begin? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you want. Okay. Well, let me start with the, the pilot that was done. Um, first of all, if you weren't familiar with QR codes as I was not at the time, but I learned what they were at that time. Um, You wouldn't know that there was a survey being done. Um, There was a little QR code on a sign where the road was stopped uh, or blocked, and you could go and look at the survey. That particular survey was very slanted in the questions it asked. But what resulted was people who we directed to it, and we did that via paper ads and just word of mouth and what have you. Um, We directed them either to that QR code or where to find it um, within the Parks and Rec Department. Um, People did not want that road closed. And some of the reasons we don't want it closed, um, it's a mobility issue. You have people such as myself, who can't get around like we once did. I've got a 27-speed bike sitting in my shed. I can't ride it anymore because of spine issues. I can't walk the seven miles I was walking only three miles or three years ago anymore. I'm not alone. As you get older, you have problems with mobility. We want to be able to enjoy the park. And saying, well, you can still park and use the shelters and use the playground. I don't use the playground. I'm 68 years old, you know, 
the shelters, the Sycamore shelter, yes, it's accessible. If you can book it, I tried to get it for the town hall meeting, both dates that I had an option to book it, um, they, it was already filled, so we had to go with Sycamore Shelter. And that was the whole point of having wheelchairs for shuttles, because people could not walk it. It's a distance from a parking lot, even from the handicapped parking lot across the street. Um, I was hanging onto a wheelchair and taking supplies over because there's, since they shut the creek off, and uh, let me back up just a second. I want to first say the improvements that have been made down there are wonderful. I would go down to the park and park and watch the action. And I was just thrilled with what was happening with one exception. And that was closing off the creek where you could drive over the creek to the shelter house. There was a parking lot there. We did it all the time when I was growing up. If you have somebody you need to drop off at a shelter house, that's now taken away. Um, can, I, can I just interject a quick question here. Sure. Was that particular change, which I assume is essentially unrelated to closing the road itself, is that correct? Again, I don't have the geography in my it head. Was, it was part of the whole um, redoing that they did down there. With the mm -hmm. creek, and, and, yeah. and yeah. this was a lot of this was environmental mitigation. It was trying to, trying to shore up the integrity of that, that I'm not really watershed. sure why they, they closed that particular thing off, except that I, I heard, and who knows where this came from, that a car got stuck. Scott, do you, um, do, you, do, you have, do you have insight here? <laughs> do you know, Scott? <laughs> uh, well, uh, Carol, thanks for the, your uh, observations. I technically know, but I will say that uh, environmentally speaking, that feature, again, historically, I know lots of people in this community enjoyed the, the concrete slide and, and driving across uh, the creek. I've personally witnessed vehicles stuck that would inadvertently slide down into the creek. I d that's not the primary reason. Uh, it certainly is. There's sometimes uh, things that are called attractive nuance, uh, mm -hmm. nuisances, um, so it could create a liability for the city um, in that regard, both from vehicular, pedestrian, what have you. Um, environmentally speaking, it's just not a great idea to concrete a creek and drive across it. Um, so it has, as, my, as I understand, uh, the consequences of, of that engineering actually is terrible for the stream bank. Um, mm -hmm. It increases the temperature of the water. It increases the speed of the flow of the, the creek as it goes down the, the hill. That increases erosion. Um, so, so again, looking from like an environmental uh, sustainability impact, yes, it's something that people have enjoyed in the past, but is that the best decision to keep that open, maintain that uh, integrity of that mm -hmm. reference in regards to environmental, um, and I would say in regards to just uh, safety in general. Um, if I may, I'd like to reply to that. And sure. if it's an issue for, um, say, heat, and it's causing a problem for it to be a concrete pad there, why not take out the concrete pad? Well, I, 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 again, I don't know what kind of vehicle would drive it. <laughs> You'd want to drive across that in regards to accessibility. Well, no, I'm saying even if, if you keep it closed. Why, why is that still there if it's creating a heat issue? Uh, I believe with the prior bond improvements they made, they've spent up the infrastructure, and that's why it ended at that point. The, the continuation of those, uh, you know, mitigation of stream, stream mitigation needs to continue to the south, which would pick up from where they left off. You're going to have point. a lot of disappointed kids if you take that out. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's what this is about. Who gets to enjoy the park? Mm -hmm. If you take the, the roadway away from us at that point, then we can't enjoy the most beautiful part of the park, the winding part. You get to see all the limestone tables that were part of the WPA 1936 project. And, you know, you have 29 tables, you have countless benches, you have the three shelters. This was all part of um, getting the limestone industry back on its feet back then. It was a wonderful way to do it. This park is 102 years old. Mm. I mean, 1921 was when it began. And this was because of a road that was going through it. You've got 75 degree angles, slopes on one side and 15 degree on the other. I mean, they just vary, you know. So you had a road that was formerly called the Martinsville Road, and then Stagecoach Road, and then um, 
the Dixie Highway, the old Dixie Highway, and then it was Highway 22, and then it was State Road 37, and now it's Old State Road 37. It's got a history. And all of the things that were down there, I mean, Sycamore Shelter was originally a bathhouse. Mm. And, you know, wonderful. It was Bloomington's first swimming pool. Uh, later became a place where Hoagie Carmichael and his dance band would play. I mean, it's got tremendous mm. history. And if you close the road, you're going to take away from people who cannot walk and who cannot bicycle and 5% of Bloomington bikes. But what about the rest of us? We're going to get old. You know, Lord willing, you're going to age, you're going to get old. There are going to be far more of you dealing with the concerns of growing old than there are bikes. And I'm not saying get rid of the bikes. I have a bike. I wish I could ride it. I can't. There's no reason why we can't all share the road together. Um, the mention of having a one-way road, that creates some problems. Which direction do you let the drivers go? Do you go north? Do you go south? Obviously, you can't have it both ways. Um, what I understand, excuse me, the engineer's report said that it's not really feasible to do that because of the width of the road. It's not stable enough to do it without getting into the slopes, without getting into the creek, doing something that's going to cost a lot of money. So I don't think that's the best option. The other options are to close it. That's certainly not the best option for those who, of us who cannot traverse it by walking or um, biking. The other thing I want to bring up, too, is this is our escape route for those neighborhoods li who live up north. During game days, I live in Blue Ridge. I can't get out of my addition. The only way I can get out is to turn right out of Blue Ridge on Walnut, go down to the light, and go through the park and come out at Steak and Shake. It takes me under all the traffic. It takes all of us under the traffic. If you live up off of Kenzer Pike, they're already dumping lots of traffic onto that road, and this just creates more. You have people going up the Clubhouse Drive. They're going to get caught in that traffic. And now here's the other thing. If you happen to go with the flow of traffic on game days, you can't cross Walnut, or excuse me, you can't cross the bypass. I have tried it. I get routed into the traffic going to the games. I need to go south. I need to go across the bypass. There's nobody there. Why can't I do it? Same thing with people coming home. They can't turn left off of the bypass onto Kinzer Pike to get home. We need to have access. And I keep reading, well, you've got access. There are two roads on either side of the park. Well, that's Kenzer and that's Walnut. Tell me where else another road is. All these roads have been closed off with 69 coming in. We used to be able to go up access to um, Acuff Road and various roads like that or North Kenzer Pike. We can't do that anymore. We don't have any other means of doing it. Dunn Street is solid on game days. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wedged in from behind and from front. Yeah, we, let, yeah let, let, me, <laughs> let me just, let me give our, our contact information again. Yeah. And then let me follow up on some of the things that you've said. Sure. Um, 812-855-0811 if you want to call us. Or 877-285-9348. You can also send questions to news at Indiana Public Media. Dot org, or you can send us questions on Twitter at Noon Edition. We're getting a lot of questions we're going to have to get to here in a minute. But on the access issue, I, mm -hmm. I just want to go back to that because that seems to be one of the key sticking points is access to the park. Scott, you said earlier that some of these um, changes would provide more access to the park, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so so let's, let's try to – let's – Try to unpack this access issue. How would it, how would it provide more access to the park? So I certainly respect where yeah. Carol and the feedback we're hearing on that, and that that could be a trade-off again consideration for those who have the means and abilities to own a motorized vehicle to access the park that way. There are people in the community that don't have that those means and abilities to access a private motor vehicle, or there's people in the community that don't feel comfortable sharing the road. Um, so that's something again that we struggle with in other projects about uh, share the road. We put the ski speed cushions in traffic calming to help slow it down. That might make it more comfortable for others. Um, you know, some people say, oh, who's going to walk that far? I prefer not to limit uh, 
what people can and can't do. Um, I'm always amazed at what people are able to do regardless of their ability. Um, so uh, what facility, again, you know, depending on the facility type, if we were to do a multi-use trail that's completely separated from the road, that would certainly, you know, create a win-win on the mobility aspect of both motorized vehicles and non-motorized, but then it has those trade-offs of the environmental impacts, at least on that section of roadway. Um, and yeah, so that's that's the kind of trick to this is uh, how do you uh, create that uh, access from uh, mobility. You certainly could access the park from the north or west. Um, you know, accessing the shelter or driving through uh, that section if the road were closed would limit uh, mobility for those individuals. Now there's other places, you know, Headley Road is a beautiful windy road to drive down to Griffey Lake. It's close proximity, um, different amenities at Griffey Lake where people could enjoy. I know the Parks Department just did some really wonderful improvements with the fishing pier and what have you. So there's certainly other opportunities to enjoy other historical features of the city. But I, I hear you and I get it. <laughs> We've had lots of different uh, questions come in. Here's one. Um, from John, he says, "How can the park? Excuse me. How can the park possibly be ADA compliant? Currently, it's pretty good. Um, and also, how does the golf course feel about any traffic diversion through, you know, through their area?" Scott, you is that for me? Yeah, I'm afraid <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, the listener said uh, it, says, it is ADA compliant. Says how how can it be? Uh, is it, I guess, is it ADA compliant? And would it be with some with these changes or would it be more ADA compliant? Well, I, I guess I will say I'm not an ADA expert. There's guidelines. So, you know, with the improvements that park, Parks currently has, the parking and the facilities they are, it does meet uh, the guidelines and standards. Um, I don't believe there are any standards for a roadway to be ADA compliant because there's no facilities there. So in, in that regard, you could say, well, hey, the the section of the roadway we're talking about might be ADA compliant, but there's no facilities there. Um, there's some weird language when you start dealing with uh, federal funding and whatnot. Um, if there's existing facilities and you do improvements, then you, you're required to connect those via a sidewalk or what have you. And I do believe, again, our community is very supportive of enabling and allowing uh, those mobility choices. So um, that at least one section of the roadway, it's hard to say is it ADA compliant or not. Um, because there are no facilities there. There aren't ADA kind of standards on that section of roadway. The golf course, that's a great question. Um, the city, uh, we actually pre-designed a continuation of the pathway north up to Cuff Road. And one of the impacts uh, is to alter the, the holes on the golf course. And that was something that, again, concerns from the Parks Department. People who golf, uh, you know, want to understand the impacts that will change on the, the to the players of the park uh, if we were to implement that. So that's something that the Parks Department is sorting through. Increases in traffic, um, it's hard for me to say that there's been really any demonstrated increase in traffic. Uh, you know, historically there was a count uh, on north, uh, north of Clubhouse Drive. I think it was about a thousand vehicles a day. And we've had some recent counts over the years that were uh, most of the legs were below that number historically, 800 to 400, depending on what time you're looking at. So I don't really see any significant increase of chain or mo traffic on Clubhouse Drive. I wanted to come back, uh, Carol, to you, and actually both of you, I'm sure, will have um, comments on this, which because you were talking about access being blo blocked in and so forth on game days and traffic and all that. And that obviously has implications for emergency vehicles. And exactly. I'm wondering what what you've um, looked at, what your, your perhaps your town hall discussed some of those issues as well. And Scott, I'm sure that's been a consideration at, um, how, how that, what would happen in situations where um, an emergency vehicle had to get through and, you know, that was the optimal route, but it was closed. So Carol, you want to say more about that? Well, I, I've had some feedback there. from citizens about that, and they're very concerned about that. Uh, two of them actually were part of either witnessing an accident or had a, an incident at home that required emergency vehicles to get there. And they were grateful the road was open so that it saved minutes of their having access to that. I'm very concerned about that safety issue. Uh, along with that, there's 
if you close the park, and we saw this last time, if you close that road, you get a lot more homeless camps set up. We've already got three cars that are consistently by the bridge that um, the bypass constitutes. So on the south end going into the park, um, just before you get to IMI's entrance, you've got homeless camps already going there. I mean, they just got through getting rid of a homeless camp um, between Walnut and um, Cascades Road. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's such a pervasive community problem, which we have talked about mm -hmm. on uh, other programs, and I'm sure we will be talking about again. And I'm not being again. unsympathetic no, to certainly the homeless not. at all. Yeah, but it is a concern. I mean, people even commented on the uh, survey that was taken back in uh, the first time around with this that they did not feel safe taking their children down there anymore. Yeah. When your your town hall, you said about eighty five to one hundred people. Were they mm -hmm. principally people from the neighborhood, or were you getting uh, people who, you know, live someplace else in Bloomington but are using the parking lot? They came from all lot? over. They came from yeah. all over. Obviously, more heavily weighted for the neighborhoods up north because they're the ones most directly mm -hmm. affected. But there are those who are sympathetic and they want to drive through. I mean, you have people who work stressful jobs, and this is a means of their de-stressing, driving through that park. Um, one of the women uh, that I know is a caregiver, and she drives her clients down there. They're not able to walk. They're not able to bike. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. she drives them down through the park daily. It calms them down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a very important mental health asset that we have. And I want to say, um, going back to when we had our first meeting, with Parks and Rec down in the park. It was at that meeting that they saw the people with the wheelchairs, with the crutches, with other mobility aids. They saw who they were going to be excluding from being able to go through the park. And it was at that meeting that they decided to recommend reopening the road. That spoke volumes and that is exactly why we did the town hall meeting. Because you gotta get people to come together and talk about it with the departments that are involved. So we have um, several questions that have come in. I'm going to start with one from Levi. It says, there is a multi-use pathway that runs along the west side of the road through there. Correct? That's what he says, correct. Uh, wasn't there also a massive rework of some walking paths? Shutting down the road would seem to be a little excessive. Um, why invest in infrastructure just to close the road? Who benefits from this? Can you explain the walking paths and multi-use paths that are already there? So the there is an existing pathway that starts uh, at Kinzer, going down Clubhouse Drive to Old State Road 37. It roughly goes south to uh, about where the concrete fjord is or uh, there, and then goes all the way north um, up to Walnut Street, crosses Walnut Street, uh, and basically ends at the base of Griffey Dam. Okay. Um, so the missing links in that network obviously would be extend further west along going north up Kinzer to Bloomington High School North, uh, a path on which council prioritized through bond funding, a pathway on Dunn Street, which would go from State Road 4546, the bypass, all the way to Old State Road 37. Um, and then the last piece that's missing is, as we talked about, is from Miller Showers north to the existing infrastructure. Okay, we have a question. Um, why do you need the road? Why do you need to close the road when it has so little traffic on most days? Has the city done a traffic count on the road to see much, how much traffic uses the road? Yes, we've, we've done traffic counts. Recently uh, did some and I can't remember, but I want to say that uh, in my presentation, I want to think the section of road that we're talking about was about 400 vehicles a day. Um, clubhouse was a little bit more. North of there was a little bit more. Um, traffic counts are a little bit tricky on the time of year. Um, summertime typically isn't the great time because schools aren't in session and IU's not here. Um, there were some counts done during a game day um, on the weekend. Uh, didn't see any increased traffic on then, acknowledging that it was a point in time when IU football wasn't doing very well. So again, not a perfect time to do traffic counts, but historically I, I 
you know, if you look at the trend line, the, the traffic counts in that area has actually gone down over time. Okay. I'd like to speak to sure. that if I may. Mm-hmm. We ran our own surveys. Um, between March 29th and May 23rd, we had random one-hour observations at the point where the road had been closed prior. Um, the results of that were 298 vehicles, and this is over that stretch, one hour at a shot. 298 vehicles, 44 bicycles on the road, 145 pedestrians on the new path, and three pedestrians on the road. We had another count done on June 17th for an hour and a half, which resulted in 43 vehicles, 15 bicycles, and three pedestrians on the road, 73 pedestrians on the new path. They're using the new path. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a dirt path that continues beyond where the um, roundabout is that has the boardwalk that goes up to the waterfall. If you go beyond that, where the um, picnic tables and things are, there's a dirt path there, and it will go so far. And I could see us extending that path from the one that um, was newly put in. Extend it as far as you can, and then we need to come up with something to make it feasible for where it narrows and you get into the higher slopes and things. We've, we've got to figure out what to do with that. And I'm saying, let's talk about it. Let's, let's not rush this thing through. Let's talk about it because everybody wants use of the park. And I, I want to mention something else. This park is um, it's pending uh, application right now for um, the National Historic Registry. I spoke with a person in the city and found out that that includes the road. Can we touch it if that is the case? If it's going on a national registry, it's pending for that, are we allowed to touch that? I think this is something that hasn't been addressed and needs to be looked into. Scott, do you have an answer to that? Uh, Probably not. Uh, I just know when you use federal money, it gets very tricky to use. Uh, regardless of historic designation, having a park is one of the red flags. Mm-hmm. Historic is another one. There's already some historic features, as Carol mentioned, on the park. And the mm-hmm. National Register, there again, there's some little things um, in regards to that. So it does certainly limit funding opportunities on what type of improvements you're looking to, to do in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we can get back to some of the alternative plans, some of the options, because we have a question here from Marilyn who says, why not have both keep the road and build a path alongside? This should satisfy everyone. Is that, I mean, what, is that one of the four options? Yes, it's one of the four options, and I think that's a great question. Uh, I think it's just, again, going back to those trade-offs. What are the, the actual costs? Right, right now, we, we have a rough estimate that it'll be around $3 million to do that. Um, cost. And so is that an appropriate amount of money to allocate on this one area? This community has lots of needs. Um, and then uh, the other, uh, I lost train of the question now. Well, it just had to do with leaving the road open oh. and building a... Yeah. So it's certainly path. one of the options. Absolutely. And that's, again, the, the challenge of cost being cost effective and the, the environmental impacts. There's a couple of sections that are really tight. Um, so would that ca- cause it to be cut into the hillside, cut down trees? We have the stream bank um, that we need to stabilize and make sure we're addressing those. Um, you know, and again, I think, you know, people like to en- enjoy Mother Nature as it is. So uh, trying to figure out what, what that allows where both a separated trail would allow that as well as closing the roads. So that's just, again, trying to evaluate those alternatives on okay. the trade-offs. We only have a, we have less than ten minutes to go, so I want to see if Lori has a question. Well, I think just uh, to uh, ask Carol a little bit more about um, things like those ideas that were brought up at the at the town hall that you held, and and to what extent um, you really saw you know some good dialogue there with with the residents and the people who obviously were concerned about the road closure and the people who came who were representative of the decision making structure was the dialogue good there and and productive and did did you reach any um any direction forward i don't know that i could say that what i would like to say is that people expressed their opinions i mean they were more than ready to express their opinions um by count we had two people in favor of closing the road 
and everybody else wanted the roads open. And well, one, I'm, I'm not sure um, from the mayor's office, I'm not sure where he stood, but I would guess he's probably um, with the proposals, you know. But um, it was definitely keep the road open. This is, this mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. for all the things that we've discussed. And one thing I wanted to bring up, um, if you put traffic coming out of the additions on game days, if you put them into the game traffic, they're going to add to that stalled traffic, adding more pollution. If you have the road open where they can go through, you don't have that. Yeah, I think that's something that needs to be considered. Scott, did you want to react to that? Looked like you were, looked oh, like you were moving I'm, in, but I'm adjusting my, uh, you know, yeah, spine here. Yeah. Okay, um, we do. Here's a comment that that came in uh, before the show. It says the Cascades path has been planned, um, has been the planned bike and ped connection from south of the bypass to North High School for almost 20 years now. How much longer are we going to be waiting for our low stress connection to North? Is so can you talk about the history? I mean, the transportation plans are on the shelf for a long time, it seems like. And it takes a while because they're very costly to get them moving. Has there been a plan to create this for 20 years? There, yes, there has. So, you know, my tenure at the city, I've uh, been here since uh, 2002. Uh, there's been a couple versions of the transportation plan that have, have identified the needs, uh, including this facility. And there has been past efforts and work done in the area to identify that. I even mentioned how uh, we have kind of plans sitting on the shelf uh, connecting west to uh, Bloomington High School north. Um, it really comes down to funding. So going back to that $3 million price tag from the administration is like, hey, if that's the will of the community um, preferred alternative, um, fine, but then that might, that $3 million then is going to cost somewhere else other infrastructure that might be needed to implement like the pathway that's currently designed that doesn't have any funding associated with it. So that's the, the challenge of when it comes down to dollars and cents and the, the impacts is how do we evaluate that and make the decision. So. May well, I speak to that? Yeah, please. I just want to say plans are just that. They're plans. They're not etched in stone. They can be changed. And this is where more conversation needs to happen. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't these plans due for review next year? Uh, staff is bringing through a plan amendment to the transportation plan, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's take the time to do this right. And I know somebody will say, well, 20 years, you know, isn't that enough time? No, because we have increased traffic now. We have apartments going up all over this town, especially on North Walnut. I just read about another eight-story building that's going to go up next to Verve. And we've already got apartment road there that extends back to Dunn Street. Mm -hmm. That is an increase in traffic. I mean, and you've got the off 69, when you take the IU exit, you can see this housing structure there. That's all new. Where are we going to put all these people? Where are we going to put the cars? How, how are we going to do deal with this traffic? Yes, Scott. So. That's a great lead way. Thanks, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, that one project is one of, you know, has one of our highest transit riders uh, routes. Um, and part of that approval, the developer agreed to help subsidize, subsidize and fund a bus route. So, and again, like, I get and hear that not everybody can walk and ride a bike and, and what have you, but again, it, for places that don't have those facilities, then those individuals don't have a choice um, other than the automobile or to take their life in their hands to cross streets and walk on the side of the road. Um, so by building this infrastructure, you're at least giving people the opportunity or option to, to do, use something than the single occupancy vehicle. So. Um, yeah, where, where are people going to go? I hear that all the time with these new projects that come in. Um, you know, there is a pent-up demand for housing supply. That's a different conversation. Um, but we're doing the best we can to help address some of the uh, impacts with some of those projects. Um, Scott, have there, been, have there been safety studies down in that area? I mean, have, have there been lots of vehicle accidents or vehicle pedestrian accidents or bike accidents, anything like that? I, I'm not aware of quote-unquote safety studies. I, I will circle back a little bit on the, the police and fire uh, issues. Um, I can't say it's any unique than any other park that we have about how they access the parks. Um, 
you know, runs, Parks Department shared the number of police runs over the year. Um, I'd say this falls right in the middle. They, I think I'm going off memory around 250. Um, I think Bryan Park is higher than that. Um, some of the smaller neighborhood parks, not as many. Fire over a 10-year period, I think averaged one a year. So um, I don't see any trends that, that uh, would hinder, like increase the police or fire runs in those parks, but there are certainly strategies that could be looked at if the roadway were closed to how we could accommodate mm-hmm. emergency services. How would you handle the neighborhoods? That's around that. Well, that's, I mean, Carol, that's a great question because that's a, that's a human-powered management issue with the police and how do they deal with uh, traffic flow. Yeah. That's, to me, is a more, I'm just thinking if that's I a more flexible, Walnut. that's a more, yeah. that's a more management question on how right. can they manage traffic, allowing residents to make the turn movements that you like so that you're not forced to use lower State Road 30 or lower Cascades yeah. Road there. Yeah, we have about, I think, one minute. And so I wanted to ask each of you, um, what what are the next steps and uh, how can concerned citizens, those who are for and against um, but want to have some input into this process, where do they go? What should they do? Okay. Scott, do you want to? 30 seconds each. 30 seconds each. Right. Well, I, I think just reach out to your local council representative, and that's the best Best means uh, certainly can reach out to myself. Uh, my contact information is on the city's website, and email is very easy to do. Um, that's Carol. Best way. About as simple as I can get. Thirty seconds. Okay. Very, I, w- I want to give a shout out to Sue Scambaluri, who's walked us through this for the last three years. She's been absolutely tremendous. So yes, contact your city council person. Uh, those are about to change. I regret losing Sue. She's been tremendous. Um, keep an eye on what's going on on the agendas for the City Council. Um, you can write to me at savelowercascades at gmail.com. Okay, that's it. We're out of time. I want to thank our guests, Scott Robinson and Carol Canfield, for being here with us today. For uh, Lori McRobbie and for our producer, Nathan Moore, and engineer, Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.